0: She's thin like an aspen, wearing leather sandals with silver medallions. Her hair is short and choppy. She has a sure kindness that comes without unnecessary smiles. She stands with her feet wide, slightly turned out. She wears glasses. She says shit. Mary O'Brien stands at the front of the meeting hall, a tornado of vigor and influence. She's a biologist working for the Grand Canyon Trust. A nonprofit aiming to protect and restore the Colorado Plateau. She grins wide as she proposes her plan for grazing on public lands, a force she's seen dramatically alter the landscape of the West.
1: People are just going to destroy the earth until there's dandelions and horses and dogs left. Elder Leopold
0: once said when you are ecologically educated, you walk through a world of wounds. Mary is ecologically educated. She's worked as an environmental activist for 30 years, immersed in landscapes that have been seriously damaged by cattle grazing. She's done intensive ecological studies, pushed through bureaucracy, and presented at many a public meeting. She's fought for crushed cryptobiotic soil crust, dried up watersheds, and stunted aspen forests. Mary's job takes her to the southern slope of Monroe Mountain in the Fish Lake National Forest. The ground, ashy, black, and steep, gives easily to the momentum of the rainfall. It was burned after a prescription from the Forest Service. Banking on regeneration, they set fire to the understory of the slope, hoping to mimic the wildfires that once sustained the woods. But the Forest Service failed to consider the impact of grazing on the young saplings as they struggled to establish themselves. The region was scheduled to be open for grazing just one year after the fire a reality that had the potential to alter the forest permanently.
1: You've taken all the overstory aspen out. All you've got is the underground roots. And if they send up sprouts one year, they get browsed. They'll send up sprouts another year. If they get browsed, that's toast. That's gone forever.
0: An entire forest, sustaining itself for centuries, could be lost in two years. When you're working in direct proximity to destruction, what stops you from throwing up your hands, saying it's too hard, too complicated, too overwhelming, and just stopping? Here's where Suzanne Foudy comes in, a Forest Service hydrologist in Baker County, Oregon. Posted in the pines above
2: Camp Creek, she beams. It is about, can, do fish have water that is of high quality? Do migratory birds have a place to rest?
0: Passion for protecting this place to rest is an integral part of Suzanne Foudy's person inseparable from the characteristic bumbling of small orange earrings skimming the sides of her neck. Commitment to the arid, pine-pocked landscape of Baker County is as much a part of her as her sun-leathered skin. It shows in her intensive monitoring to prove that cattle are having severe impacts on the local watershed. Here she introduces us to the history of Camp Creek, a now dry riverbed with deeply incised banks.
2: beaver were trapped out, the large carnivores were removed, and consequently it triggered a whole series of interdependent and interrelated activities. There were periods when there was enhanced rainfall, dams broke, channels incised, channels widened, livestock were put on. Uh, They further altered both the cover on the ground and on the hillsides. Suzanne, like Mary, works in a world of wounds. And what we've done is we've sort of had this complete unraveling between streams, their valley floors, and that loss of water from these valley floors has resulted in total change in vegetative communities, and water tends to leave our watersheds much faster.
0: This leaves dry riverbeds, lost wetlands, and no place for migratory birds to rest. Suzanne understands the interconnectivity and complexity of issues surrounding the watershed. She understands
2: how much is at stake. And so I, I grapple continuously with that question of, is it really too big? Mary and Suzanne are perceptive.
0: They understand the scale of degradation that's going on in communities, in watersheds, in grasslands, and on the planet. Still, they're staying in the game. They're sticking with it. Mary and Suzanne
2: are stubborn. You like to trap? Too bad. It's not inappropriate. It's not appropriate. Go find another way to entertain yourself in the winter, okay? They are unwilling to be paralyzed
0: by inaction. They look for small opportunities rather than pining for whole problem
2: solutions. They act where they can. What gives me hope is that I know that we are capable if we make different choices to not necessarily at this point stop climate change but mitigate and make it possible for us as a planet to actually not go into major, major crisis. Not that crisis won't be there, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be as bad as it is. Suzanne makes this
0: sound easy, but often that's not how it feels.
1: I think you're setting people up for despair to teach them to really appreciate something and then watch it go under the bulldozer and not know how to stop it. Because there's ways to stop the bulldozer
0: But when faced with large-scale environmental destruction, the idea of stopping the bulldozer can feel overwhelming. Mary has an idea of why that is. It has to do with how a lot of environmental education is designed. Here she's talking about environmental educators.
1: They've got it that they have to teach people some of the facts. They've got it that they have to do it in such a way that it engages their emotions. But they don't get it that just teaching someone how to care for a wetland, and then, what, watch it be destroyed by a a four-lane highway and they have no tools to stop that? I've been critical of environmental education efforts because I think they do two legs of a three-legged stool. Mary explains
0: the three legs. One is knowledge. One is care. And one is tools. In order to be able to act, to have influence, you have to have this third leg. You have to have the tools. You have to be able to do ecological studies on Aspen, be able to comment on environmental impact statements, write alternatives for development plans, speak about research in public meetings, and involve the community. This is what makes people empowered. And this is what keeps Mary and Suzanne afloat. Back in Camp Creek, Suzanne stands amidst a sea of aspen leaves that flicker over an eroding stream bank.
2: In 2008, if we had stood here, we would have not—we would have seen just a couple of dead aspen above the conifers. And so now, when I look at it, I actually see a huge swath of aspen that are starting to turn color. And when I walk through it, it's true that the leaves look extremely stressed. But I'm seeing. Aspen actually show up and begin to get a little bit of height.
0: Mary and Suzanne are stubborn. They may be walking in a world of wounds, but they're doing it with every ounce of determination they've got. They're empowered to walk through the world without being paralyzed by inaction.
1: If the world's getting reduced to cats or dogs and horses and dandelions, then I'm going to defend the dandelions.
0: For National Public Lands Radio, this is Eve Pemberthy.